Hey, this is Mohani Love from Let's Talk About It. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Welcome to Mohani Love's podcast. Let's talk about it. Today is Friday, and I have a wonderful interview for you today with Miss Tamina Watson. She's an immigration attorney, an author, and activist. Hey, Tamina. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. Hey, you're welcome. I'll tell you something. You're a person that everybody would love to hear from. Oh, <laughs> so kind of you to say. Oh, I'm very uh, grateful. Yes, your field. Um that you've chosen. Why did you become an um, immigration lawyer? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, um, I wanted to be a lawyer all my life, but I didn't necessarily want to be an immigration lawyer. And I um, moved from the United Kingdom. So anybody who is tuning into my accent, I wasn't born here. So I had to figure out how to become a lawyer again. And so when I took my bar exams uh, in New York, but I live in Washington state, I couldn't practice what I thought I wanted to practice, which was litigation because it's state law. But immigration is a federal area of law, meaning the law applies to all of the states. So mm -hmm. um, the law, immigration kept following me around and I thought, okay, well, I might as well just do this for a little while. And that's how I fell into it. So very much by accident, but the first or second day of doing the work, I said, this is what I was meant to do. And it kept following me around until I succumbed. Um, but I love it. I've been practicing immigration law since 2006. And, you know, here I am. I know one thing. I love your accent. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. It's not as strong as it used to be because I obviously live here now in, in Washington <laughs> State. But um, yeah, thank you. Well, um, does the um, immigration laws, do they vary from state to state? Like, like the procedure in order to apply for immigration, is it different? That's a really good question. So in general, the answer is no. The immigration laws of the United States are federal, meaning that uh, the federal laws apply equally everywhere. But your listeners might remember from the last four years that there are different cities called sanctuary cities and other states were able to, you know, have protections. What's different is a state can make its own rules about where they put their funds and how they want to create their own rules. They cannot mm -hmm. overcome immigration laws themselves, but they can say, this is what we will do. And it's really in a very few contexts. So in general, the answer is no. The law applies to all the states, but some states can make their own laws about 
narrow issues like do we want a private prison in our in our state therefore we're not going to have undocumented immigrants in our state or no. another state can say you know we don't want the police to be working with uh, the DHS ICE therefore we're we're not going to cooperate so that they can't pick up people from jails so a lot of states in the last four years have really tried to do some uh, you know protections for immigrants but um often you know the the argument has gone back to various courts to decide you know wh- where the the states can make their own decisions but for your audience um and for their general understanding immigration law is universal all around the mm, okay so how has covid affected immigration because you know the, when when we had the big shutdown people couldn't go in to do a lot of things via zoom via you know uh virtual uh in immigration you think oh gosh where do i even begin it has been such um an obstacle for people getting their immigration benefits so let's just take them by categories you know the first category is if you're inside the us or mm-hmm. if you're outside the us are you waiting for an immigration benefit outside the us or are you doing that inside the us Wow. and it depends on what kind of benefit you're getting are you getting a green card are you getting a work permit are you getting a work visa so if you're in the US there was an immediate halt actually outside the US inside the US everything sort of stopped immediately mm-hmm. just like life stopped but what mm-hmm. that meant for people in the inside the US was a lot of people were waiting for green cards or waiting for work permits that tied them over until they got their green cards all of those got delayed and so cases that would take about 18 months are now taking two and a half years easily the wow. the previous administration had started some new procedures and those mm-hmm. procedures actually resulted in further delays because there are some forms in which you must give fingerprints to yeah. the US government yeah. so they can do a biometrics uh, assessment of you and background checks those fingerprinting appointments completely stopped and because of those fingerprint in, uh, appointment stopping people couldn't get to the next step whether it was their work permit or whether it was their um you know green card or or whatever that issue was the other thing that was interesting is um interview stop too so to get the green card even if you have a work permit and let's say you're getting a green card through marriage mm-hmm. you have to go to an appointment and proof to an immigration lawyer that you are happily married and you're doing all the boring things that married people do you know <laughs> you know we go to groceries at Safeway here's our bank statement and people couldn't go to those interviews so the the backlog has grown significantly um the other category and so people who are waiting for green cards or work permits outside the US they wouldn't come in because uh, embassies had closed down so right. that has been a very very long delay it continues to date and then some countries have additional covid bans so there's a covid ban with every country but then there were um then there were you know um i'm so sorry my email is making so much noise oh it's fine that means that you're you're a busy woman that's fine <laughs> i'm so sorry about that 
Um, so that meant that people who needed to do these fingerprinting or appointments outside the country just were completely stopped. But because of COVID bans, all countries had, you know, their own bans. But the United States put additional bans for people coming from India or South Africa or Europe. Um, and so there were specific, you know, you, even if you could get a visa, you couldn't because there's an additional ban. So these bans have become a real problem for a lot of people. And what I will suggest is um, if people are truly interested in the subject matter, I write about um, immigration issues in a national um, law publication called Above the Law. And my column comes out every two weeks. And nice. I have tackled all of these issues that you're asking about so people can get different stories about, you know, what has been going on with COVID. The other thing is people don't always want to live here. They've come to visit. You want to go to New Zealand, you, know? you want to go to Florida, you want to go to New York and see the Big Apple. A lot of people came as tourists and suddenly walls went up in every country and they couldn't leave. So those wow. tourists had to then file for immigration paperwork to say I want to stay long I can't leave and so they had a lot of issues and then you know people who are green card holders who actually got their green cards when they live in the United States you have to live here for at least six months out of the year now you you might know a lot of people who are elderly who love the sun and they just you know stay in you know the Caribbean or you know Africa or India and they come you know they come and go what happened with a lot of people is that they actually got stuck outside the country for more than six months wow. and that they were subject to losing their green cards and some people did and so it's been a real sort of roller coaster of emotional challenges procedural challenges you know one of my articles was called country ban versus um travel ban because we then had to do an assessment oh you have a problem which country are you from what visa are you trying to get and so and it continues today you know so many different types of problems have come up but the biggest challenge is delays and delays and delays in every step that you need to take let me ask another question. Make sure, like, so I would love for you to share your your number, your, um, you know what I mean, your name, your number, your information, Ooh. because you are so knowledgeable, and you know, um, that's what you want, and you, you work in such a serious business, you know what I mean? You want someone knowledgeable. I have a question because I was watching this show, and I, I just the question came to me. So there's a woman. She's a citizen. She married an African guy. They, they, maybe, right? But uh -huh. no, I don't know if they got married. I know they had a baby, but the baby was born in Africa. That baby's not a citizen, right? Even though the mother's a citizen of United States. Do you know, I have to double check that. It used to be that was a problem. I don't know if it's a problem still. Right. Um, it was on the show. It was on like a show, and I was, it, it made me think oh. about that. Because yeah, I, was, you know, I will. 
I will double check that that used to be a problem. I don't know if it still is. The key would be whether they were married or not. If they were not married, maybe that because that could be the issue because you have to show um, the the citizenship for that. And the, you know, so there are issues in that, but I believe that issue. Um, I, I don't have a straightforward answer, so I don't want to sort of speculate. But um, well, what about if, if they were married? What about if they if, were married? If, if they were married, that child should be a U.S. citizen for sure. Okay. And that's what I, okay. Yeah, and then when a U.S. citizen child is, I mean, in theory, that child should be a U.S. citizen. The question is procedurally, uh, are, are there legal barriers? And in the past, I believe there were a lot of litigation issues on that. I, I, I don't know what the current state of lo- the law is. But typically, when a child born to a U.S. citizen is born abroad, they have to do what's called reporting the birth to the embassy. If the birth is not reported to the embassy, that that's when you you know you don't have the paperwork to show that the child is a U.S. citizen. Sort of like getting a birth certificate. So what about? Um, I had another question. <laughs> now because you you are you flow i love it (laughs) oh oh, i have it so i know you represent clients right like would you Mm -hmm. go show up with to their immigration appointment if they request you if they retain you as their attorney have you ever had a client get denied and then so what happened after that really good question now it depends on the context sometimes so who is my client Let's start there. My client can be an individual and a lot of time times in the family based immigration where you're filing a green card for a spouse, a parent, a child. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the individual and those people do have interviews. The other type of client I have are small to medium businesses who are hiring people with high skilled uh, you know, professionals. Yes. And often we don't have to necessarily go to an interview for them unless there's a green card application for them. Now, the denial can happen in either context. In the family-based situation, I've only seen that twice. Uh, in you know, I've been practicing since 2006. Right. But in those two situations, the government has access to information that I do not. I take what my client says, you know, verbatim. I believe my client says that they're, you know, in love and, you know, they're they're happily living together and they've shown me documents to prove it. There's no reason why I would question that necessarily. But the immigration service will not give you a green card without making their own background checks. So in one particular case, I was retained because this particular couple had been waiting for a green card interview, but their lawyer had passed away tragically. So they took me to the interview and this person uh, was sat in a different room, not into the usual one. So the fraud investigation offices are slightly different. They have designated ones. And so we went to this room and the officer kept asking all these questions. Where do your parents live? You know, where does the other person's parent live? And essentially what happened was the couple, um, the U.S. citizen spouse, who was the wife, had a second mm-hmm. address somewhere else where in that address was listed a different um, male. And so Mm -hmm. the government realized that she was probably pretending to be married to the person I was representing while living a married life with somebody else or some such. 
there was some fraud going on and so there's no way for me to to know that you know and it's only happened once or twice so um that's the situation in which a denial could happen but the denial didn't happen on the spot it happened where the officer asked so many questions that you know it was very apparent there was something fishy going on so when we came out the people basically said we're going to go home and talk about it and they emailed me and said mm, you know we're going to just withdraw our case we're not going to do this anymore <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily a government denial but they sort of got caught in the act if you like so one of the things that i tell my clients is you, you know if you're trying to get a green card through marriage you've got to make sure that this is a real marriage they're going to show up at your doorstep at 1am or 5am to see who's sleeping where whose toothbrush is in which bathroom where are your clothes in the wardrobe those types of investigations happen all the time in another wow. case of mine um in this particular case this is before same sex marriages were allowed where mm-hmm. um a, a the US citizen spouse again the woman had a fight with another woman and they told me that they there were some police reports and when the US citizen has a criminal charge against them it doesn't necessarily affect the case unless it's one of a sexual nature where the government will say the non US citizen is probably going to be in danger and so in that situation when they said i had a fight with somebody and they took me to court i didn't necessarily think much of it because they just said it was a fight but what happened was when we went to the interview the immigration officer really was asking about that and it turned out the fight was because they were lovers it was a lesbian relationship and the immigration officers had gone to every you know neighbor investigated the relationship before they had the interview so those are my scenarios where you know i file a lot of marriage based immigration cases all the time and uh, in general you know the perception i often have with my clients is this is real and i don't you know to me nothing necessarily seems wrong but in these two situations the government had access to information that i didn't and that led to um you know these two particular cases being not necessarily deli- denied they actually um you know withdrew their cases but denials can often happen for different reasons so for example if you had traveled outside the country while a green card application is pending and you didn't come back home and you you have now abandoned your case that's where it could be denied um cases can be denied because of criminal convictions because of unlawful presence meaning somebody was in the US and they had some sort of issue that doesn't allow them to get a green card but most lawyers will do a thorough assessment of the case before they file a green card application now here's uh, i would like to ask you something personal. Okay. A lot of people may not know how much all of those applications cost, like those fees. Mm-hmm. Like what is the full amount? I mean, okay, so if you retain an attorney, you have your fee. But what is the fee for all of those applications? So if somebody ever dates somebody who isn't from here, you know, from United States mm-hmm. and they they love them mm-hmm. financially, how for the beginning the process yeah. of the paperwork 
Re- really good question. The fees vary. So there are two separate fees to think about. One is for the government. The government will always take your fee. Um, and the lawyer will obviously charge for their time. And every law firm has their own sort of fee schedule. Different law firms charge different fees. Um, and every okay. different type of case will have different fees. So law firm fees for a typical marriage-based green card can vary between $3,000 to $5,000, um, wow. roughly. Uh, it could be more if there are complications, like you had a criminal conviction or you had a problem with the law enforcement in some different area or you lied about being a U.S. citizen in the past. There was something in your situation that makes you complicated. And so if that's the case, there would be more fees attached depending on the complication. And then the government fee is roughly around $1,800, just over $1,700. And those are for the fees for the green card. But that depends also on the situation. So if you're in the U.S. Uh, and you're filing here, the fee is about $1,760 for two separate mm-hmm. forms. But if you're outside the country, so a U.S. citizen has a spouse abroad, the fee uh, is payable at different times um, in the in the process. And I tell my clients to think about it as, you know, three separate payments of $500. Um, it's generally around 70, just under $1,800 because it's not quite $500. But mm-hmm. it, that's all part for people to remember. There are three separate you know, steps to take. Uh, and there are, you know, months in between those steps, but each of those steps would be roughly around 500 each time. Wow. So it's all about love, right? <laughs> no, it, it, it is. I mean, do you, I would ask your audience to read my most recent article in Above the Law. Mm-hmm. And in that one, my client had to survive the Muslim ban, various different travel bans, and um, you know it wasn't. It was very stressful as a process, but it was also expensive for different reasons. Not just the immigration application that we filed for them, but all the other things that they had to do to see each other. And so it's the the, the heart wants what it wants, and you know we're all different souls and mm-hmm. you know once you find your soulmate it could be in Timbuktu you want to be with that soulmate yeah. and at yeah. that point you know it's money yes a lot of headache and money but once you find that person you want to be with them you'll fight you'll keep on going it doesn't matter that's right that's right and that's what I see I mean one of the things that's so lovely about my job is I reunite loved ones all the time whether it's parents children spouses fiancés you know and it's a feel-good factor and one of the things that happens in our office is when there's good news to share we always take turns in the office to share good news i mean it's just such a wonderful feeling to say congratulations you got your green card and in my early days i remember there was this woman who was beaten by her husband never filed a green card had gone through so many different hardships and we were able to get a green card for her and when I called her to give her the good news she screamed in my ear it's almost like I got deaf and Uh. that (laughs) moment is so special that you know we really take turns in our office to give good news that's beautiful so I see here you're an author Um, yes and I want to talk a little bit about 
you um your inspiration to write your book the title and you know your name and you're an activist yeah let's talk about it oh my goodness where do we even begin you know the book we have we have seven more minutes okay so very quickly so very quickly activism is what really led to the books so active as an immigration lawyer i'm often the first time somebody hears about all the complicated challenges of whether they can get a visa or a green card or whether they cannot get a visa or a green card now our laws were set in 1950s and they've not changed since so no matter which direction you're going at um to get a green card there are blocks or a work visa there are blocks or the the world has changed so many times over that the law needs to keep updated with it and we need visas for new categories so over the years i've become the voice of my clients because they don't know how to vocalize the problems and they don't know the inter- intimate um uh laws nitty-gritties of the laws about what they need to change so mm-hmm. i have become a vocal advocate on we need immigration reform we need a startup visa we need to be able to tell you know the government this is what you need to change and that led to a lot of activism which really led to stepping up to every challenge that happened in the previous administration and you might remember that there was you know the first time for a muslim ban there were yeah. you know bans at the borders children were taken away from their parents all of those things led to stepping up even further and so when i had fought for immigrant rights um and i continue to do that it led to writing the book called legal heroes in the trump era and the book oh, can be found wow. on amazon and barnes and nobles and other platforms and it's okay. the story yeah. of what i did in the last 4 years but also what other lawyers had done because what happened in the last administration is that the core of the law was shaken and lawyers oh, yeah. had to step up to say no we are going to protect the law and the rights of human beings and so the book is about that so activism led to that one and the second book which i've written twice now first edition and second edition called the startup visa is really advocating for a new visa category for the modern day entrepreneur now you might know this is that this country is based on small businesses on entrepreneurship you know people who are starting businesses and creating jobs and the laws have not kept up with what immigrant entrepreneurs are doing if you think about chobani the person who has the yogurt um factory he yes. was a refugee yes. who came to this country if you think wow. about tesla Uh, the car the new modern day car electric car elon musk he's an immigrant from south africa if wow. you think um nordstrom he was a second generation immigrant from sweden there are so many stories of immigrants who have really shaped america in the way it is and how it is globally perceived And so we need to create a visa category for entrepreneurs who want to come here now who can create jobs for the millions of people who need jobs right this moment. So my book called The Startup Visa 
is really um, a, a, an advocacy piece about why we need this visa category by demonstrating a little bit of history, just like I mentioned, there are chapters on history and historical characters, modern day characters, who everybody will know um, that, you know, you don't know they're immigrants. Um, and then what the law, the legal challenges are, you know, where you have chapters on this is what the current law is, this is why it doesn't work. And this is why we need that. So anybody who's a business owner, anybody who's a student listening to this podcast, anybody who's a teacher listening to this podcast, dealing with international students, anybody who invests in um, entrepreneurs, you should be reading this book because... And you should be giving your information. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. My, my website is www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com and my email address is there. You can contact us through there. The office phone number is 206-292-5237. If anybody wants to um, connect, they can connect through LinkedIn where my handle is Tamina Watson and I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I have a blog where we write a lot about immigration changes. You can find that on the website and I have two columns. I contribute to Entrepreneur Magazine so you can find some of my articles there and then I write a bi-weekly column for Above the Law. So I hope you will subscribe to those. And guess what, guys? Make sure when you contact her, you can type, you heard it from Mohani Love's podcast. That way she'll know where it came from. Absolutely. So thank Mahani. you. Yes. Thank I do have a podcast. Thank you so much. Really appreciate Thank you. Okay. And guys, thank you for listening to Mohani Love's podcast. Let's talk about it. And never forget... I love you.